0: So as a church we've been going through a, a sermon series called Grace and Truth which is, a, we're doing a survey of the New Testament the first and the last chapter of each book and uh, last week Peter opened up Colossians chapter 1 for us and reminded us of that we are all a people of faith whether we're Christian or not, we're all people of faith and, uh, and so the question is what is our faith in and that is, uh, he talked about the supremacy of Christ Colossians is all about the deity of Christ and his supremacy and his place in our life uh, and then the, the need for wisdom. So that was the beginning, and Paul then will conclude the book of Colossians in very much the same themes of what it looks like to have Christ in our life and the wisdom of Christ through our life. And so um, we will be beginning in chapter 4, but as I'm uh, just thankful for the praise team picking the songs that they do, as they did, um, we just sang, Oh Christ, be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me those are powerful words and we can sing it and not let them really affect us but if we start to think about what is what does that mean and how do we live that out that's what Colossians is about it's about learning to allow Christ to be magnified in our life so with Colossians chapter 4 we're beginning in verse 1 And we'll read through the end of the chapter this morning. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remembering my chains. Grace be with you. And we'll conclude our reading for now. As I uh, was preparing for this, it was a good reminder that um, the word of God is inspired and given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit as he moved along the, the, the apostles and the writers of it. But the chapters and verses breakdown is not inspired. So originally this was a letter all written together um, without the breakings of the chapters and the verses. And that was came much later for uh, ease of us finding different places in the scriptures. So I did in, choose to include verse one in our reading today, though that's actually a, a concluding thought of chapter three. So it's a rough break, and we miss all the what goes on before verse 1, but it is um, good to remind ourselves of how the Bible has been given to us and preserved for us, and how we can approach it and look at the context. Every verse um, and word of God has meaning within the context it's given and the purpose it's given, and so looking at a verse and in the context of its chapter, in context of its book, in the context of the historical setting that it was written in, um, and, uh, and the type of literature. All these things we want to bring together as we learn to properly handle the Word of God. And, uh, and so I did want to include it, because I want to talk a little bit about that and move up back into chapter 3 um, as we first talk about honoring Christ in our relationships. Honoring Christ in our relations. How do we make Christ magnified in our life? as we look at exalting Christ throughout Colossians that Jesus is preeminent and that what Jesus has done uh, for us and in us and uh, promised for us and called us to the life that we're to live that it should affect all of us and uh, beginning uh, with honoring Christ to those who are closest with us. So let's go back up to verse 18 in chapter 3 and read through verse 1 of chapter 4. Fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Christ, serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul here is now talking about honoring Christ in our lives, in our relationships. And I think it's uh, so important that we see that our Christian faith and how Christ transforms our hearts and our lives should start with those closest to us. And how often it's easy for us to behave well outside of our house or outside of the familiar and put on our best foot with new people and here it's a reminder of start with those who are closest to you. Live out the faith faithfully, obediently with those closest to you and begin to live it out. Because if you can learn to live in harmony um, in the way God has designed within your home, to your spouse and to your kids and to your family, then it will be easier to live it out in the, the broader circles because it takes a lot of patience and time and practice to Uh, To be transformed in those moments, to be Christ-glorifying, Christ-magnifying in in every day uh, with uh, close proximity. So, um, and thinking of all the smallest, most mundane, or most trivial, or difficult moments, that those are times to say, how can I honor Christ here? How do I season my words with salt? How do I season them with grace? How do I live this out here? And so, um, going through, a commentator said this. He says, Paul begins chapter 3. If we uh, look at the first verse of chapter 3, he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he calls us out at the beginning of chapter 3 to look up, to look above, to look to Christ. And then he urges believers uh, to look up. He closed the chapter in the same way. Wives are to look up to Christ as their example of submission. Husbands are to look up to Christ as their example of love. Children are to look above to Christ as their example of obedience. Slaves are to look up above to Christ as their impartial rewarder. Masters are to look up above to Christ as their heavenly judge. Spirituality is a matter of understanding our identification with Christ, having our lifestyle transformed, and honoring Christ in our relationships. And that's a powerful word, that we look up to Christ and see his example and learn to live that out in the, this context that we live in. And just a brief word here as we, we talk about this... Uh, masters uh, treating their bond servants justly. Like what we see here is in each position uh, within our relationships is a recognition of the imago dei, the image of God, a brother and sister in Christ, an equality, and a respect and a care, bringing fairness and justice to our relationships. Um, and uh, and when it comes to uh, masters in our context. Like, we could look at the employer and employee, how we operate our businesses with our business associates and others that we treat them honoring. But I do like to look at when we consider how it says bond servant or slaves in some translations that it is talking about a different kind of slavery than what we saw in the American story, like Most cultures throughout time have had different forms of slavery, and the bond servant, bond slavery was oftentimes more like an indentured servant. I owe you a debt. I'm going to give my uh, life to you for this amount of time, or for room and board and treated, where you're not paying me, but I'm paying off a debt, or other things like that. We see them being welcomed into the household or even part of the family. Um, The Old Testament even talks about when a servant, a slave, has finish their time and they choose to stay under their master, they can have a, uh, a pierce their ear to, to point to the fact that I'm going to stay with my master. i finished what I'm supposed to, but I felt treated with respect and care and I want to stay in his service. So it's much different than what happened in a uh, in, the, in our story here in our country where a very demonic approach to treating a, a group of people as less than human Uh, propaganda and teaching to to make it to where people were accepting and uh, willing to do atrocious things to that. And so when you see slavery in the Bible, it's not talking about the slavery that our our culture had experienced and gotten to such a depraved place that they would permit that. And so we're thankful for Christians who had stood up and fought against slavery in our story, in our context. Um, And but continuing to see as Christians to live out, again in our homes, in our relationships to those we're employed to, those, to those who we employ, and treating all people fairly with respect, seeing the image of God on them, and uh, and living that out to honor Christ in all things. And when we do that, we will impact our culture around us. So we begin honoring Christ in our relationships. But we also want to see here that Paul is calling us to commune with Christ in our prayers. Commune with Christ in our prayers. Like, It's so important, again, that we see it's all about who Christ is and what Christ has done and the relationship we have with Christ. And he says here in uh, chapter 4, verse 2, says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Elsewhere, in Second um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul says, Pray without ceasing in other play- places, that we're told to continue in prayer. It's to be something that's constant. It's supposed to be continual. It should be for the Christian, as breathing oxygen is for us as a human, we pray to God uh, for our, uh, the, the lifeblood of our faith, that we need to talk to our Father, talk to Him, that we are constantly in prayer. Um, I was listening to one commentator talk about how the difference between like talking on our phone and having conversations with our phone where our phone, uh, the more we talk on it or text on it or surf the internet on it, whatever you choose to do nowadays, but um, it, it starts to decrease the life of the battery and then ultimately loses power the longer you use it. But prayer is opposite for the Christian. The more you engage it, the more power it gives, the more power it brings, the more closeness that you have with our Savior. The constancy of prayer only increases the strength and the power of the believer, and we're called to be constant in prayer, but not just constant and continual, but to be watchful in it. This is to be vigilant, like to recognize that we are in a spiritual warfare, and uh, and it's and we have a, a real enemy that the the enemy of our soul, Satan, is seeking to distract us, uh, to, to to give us thoughts and to draw our attentions to draw our affections away from God. You know, it's even to the place of, you know, disruptions on Saturday night to keep us up late so that Sunday morning is difficult to wake up. And then it's the Sunday morning where we have the little conflicts around the house and stuff that, you know, uh, disrupt us and get us all a little frazzled before we get to church. And so sometimes when we sit in the pew, at least for me, this has been my experience oftentimes, the first time I just have a little bit of calm is as soon as I sit down in the pew at church and, and then can try to get, can I gather myself um, and, and to be there. But there's this active work of a Satan to disrupt you, to keep you from prayer and to keep you from focus. How many of us, when we go to pray, we start praying, all of a sudden we're just thinking about other things throughout the day and um, our mind wanders or we fall asleep to prayer. All these things can disrupt us. And, and sometimes we forget that what we're engaging in is spiritual warfare. That we're engaging in something where we have someone saying, I don't want you to pray. Because if I can get you not to pray, you're going to lack power. You're going to lack focus. You're going to lack um, connection with your Savior. So I'm going to disrupt that. And we need to be watchful. <clears throat> um, it, here's more of like the, the idea that he's, he's giving us here. In Acts 20, verses 28 to 31, there's a charge to the elders, and the overseers, about their need for them to be watchful. And, uh, and anybody who is um, leading the church or an elder or pastor, um, they are to be an example of all Christians. So we can look at the things that are called to them, though they might be the ones teaching us what they're called to, that we should all be engaging in as well. Uh, <clears throat> that what I'm talking about, we all should have this understanding that there are dangers for us as believers. There are people that come um, seeking to come in with words that sound good uh, and are drawing us away from Christ. There are Christian, those who claim to be Christians that are teaching things in our culture today just as they were uh, where Paul's talking about. They are trying to divide us, trying to get our attention off of Christ, and they need to have this alert Vision. So sometimes um, when you read things or hear things, I don't know, for me, I, oftentimes I'll read something and I say, that sounds good, but there sounds like something's wrong with that. Like there's just something that's just not right. And then seeking that out or engaging conversations or researching and not just accepting things, because it's easy, uh, especially with the proliferation of information today and the Internet and the YouTube and all these other things that we can just watch all kinds of stuff. And uh, and we have no real connection to these people, and oftentimes we can't even vet them, and we just kind of listen to something. And um, and and if we're just receiving it, we may stumble onto something that is going to distract us or pull us away from Christ. And so it is good to be discerning. Um, and if you don't find yourself gifted with discernment, inviting those with discernment into your life. Um, I know for me as a pastor, youth pastor. Oftentimes people will say, hey, have you heard this person? What do you think about this person? But they ask me that after they have invested a lot of time and information and really started following someone. And then it makes it difficult when I know someone has emotional investment into following another teacher. Like I don't want to say what first comes to mind, that guy's garbage. (laughs) Don't listen to him, he's not a believer. Um, like, Like I want to say that roughly, but then the pastoral part of me says like I want to bring you along. I don't want to destroy you, I don't want to, like, like you're, you're, but I want to help you see how this is not consistent with the Word of God. And uh, years ago, there was a book that somebody recommended to me that they really liked, and I, I read it, and it's, might, might have happened since then, but it's the first book I threw against the wall while reading it. Because here's a guy claiming to be a pastor who said, he said, when Jesus Christ, that he was the way, the truth, and life. He wasn't claiming exclusivity to God, but the best possible way to live. <clears throat> and immediately I just chucked it. I'm like, this is terrible. I'm gonna, I picked it back up and I continued reading. Um, but it sounds good at first, like Jesus, to do what Jesus said, the best possible way to live. But that, that phrase opens up salvation to good works and to other ways, other, maybe not the best way, but other ways. No, that phrase is wrong. What Jesus said is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a very exceptional phrase. He says, exclusive. You can only come to God through Jesus Christ. And if you try to take away what Jesus said, you are veering from the truth. You can make it sound good. You can flower it up, but we got to be careful. There's People seeking to pull us away, to get us to believe just a little bit off the truth that will weaken us and cause us to not magnify God, to not have the power of Christ in us as we live our lives. And so in our prayers we need to be continual, we need to be watchful, vigilant, because we have an enemy, but also we need to be thankful that sometimes we can go to prayer with our grocery list of requests, and we can always be asking for things. But how often do we stop and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've given. Thank you, Lord, for how you've answered this prayer. Thank you for um, your mercy, your grace, but also for answering it very specifically. So to be able to thank God for Tom's kidney that he's been waiting for for a long time is, wow, this is awesome. But you know, we've been praying a lot for the Sobies and we've been praying for, uh, for the, the Ukraine, and we've been praying for safety. Uh, but I've, he posted a couple of pictures, I think they're up next, of uh, this week of uh, a baptism and a wedding between the soldiers. This is uh, the chaplain, Uri, a friend of Scott's, and Scott's worked with the soldiers before. But he posted these and said, God is able to bring beauty and light even in a time of war and darkness. And there's this truth that the gospel is going forward, that God is doing things even in the midst of war and hard times. And to see an example in Scott to say, yes, things are crazy, we've been displaced and moved, there's war all around us and yet let's thank God that he is still working, that he's transforming lives, that he's doing beautiful things. And then lastly in this part, Paul asks for prayer. He says, at the same time Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear with which I, how I ought to speak. Paul is asking the, the, the church in Colossians to pray for him and to pray for not just, you know, physical, he didn't say, he said remember his chains, but he didn't say just to set him free, to get him out of, out of jail, to escape the turmoil And the trouble, she says, pray for open doors that I might declare the mystery of Christ. And then, so this is a a good reminder for us, a practical thing to think about here that in our prayers, we should pray for our Christian leaders. And, uh, I would love your prayers to pray for open doors for me to declare the mysteries of the gospel. Peter would love for you to pray for him to to, the open doors for him to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. Cindy would love for you to pray for her to open up doors for the the delivery of the gospel. Now Cindy has this unique opportunity with the Cantor's Association and with the Jewish Fellowship that once again this morning she said she's going to be teaching a Jewish congregation in September. Um And what an opportunity where a Jewish synagogue, not a Messianic Jewish synagogue, these are Jews who don't believe in Jesus Christ, want her to teach the Christian perspective about the gospel. Like, pray for her that the gospel will go forward, the Holy Spirit will use what she says, that these doors, that she can proclaim the mysteries of the gospel for our our elders and for our Sunday school teachers and all of us that you pray for open doors to deliver the gospel. How often are we praying for the gospel, for the evangelistic message to go forward? Like, is that part of our daily and regular prayers? Or is it just something we think about occasionally? But this should be constant. And for him, the apostle who wrote almost two thirds of the New Testament says, make it that he might make it clear may, that he would have. Clarity of mind and thought and word that he would deliver accurate representation of who Christ is. Now, the mystery of the gospel the mystery is that not what um, <clears throat> it is that something we wouldn't have come on ourselves unless God had revealed it. The, the truth of Christianity that, that there is a God who created us uh, and created us in his image and his likeness, and that in those sin has separated us from God, that God pursued us and that he came. That the Son of God came and took on not just human nature but human body and lived a human life uh, perfect in completion and fulfillment of the law so he would be the perfect sacrifice to go to the cross and shed his blood for our sins, dying and being raised the third day. In resurrection, de- defeating death and sin and giving us a promise of eternal life and then res- as he ascended to heaven that he's our mediator sitting at the right hand of the father going on our defense and praying for us and actively uh, working in our lives sending us the Holy Spirit like this is stuff that we wouldn't come upon ourselves you can't make this up that this is the mystery of the gospel God's work in our world his redemptive work and that we can be clear in that And pray for those opportunities. And so, we ask you to continue to pray, to be constant, vigilant, to um, be ready to ask for open doors and prayer. And then next, walking with Christ among outsiders. So not only do we want to honor Christ in our relationship and commune with him in our prayers, but walk with him among outsiders. Now it says walking in wisdom. Walking with Christ will lead to the wisdom of how we should walk amongst outsiders. As we, um, the, in Proverbs it says, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, the, and the fear is all respect. At, um, and it's, it's a proper posture that we should have before God. And when we walk with Christ, it means to have this proper posture and understanding of who Christ is in our life and we follow our leader to walk with him, then it will give us wisdom And seeing how he interacted with the outsiders. These are non-believers in our, in our world and how we can uh, reach them with the truth and love of Jesus Christ. So it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. <clears throat> so this can be difficult, having wisdom with outsiders today. So, oftentimes, as Christians throughout history, we've done um, a reactive job, uh, response to culture. I don't like that, so I'm going to go and leave the culture completely and just stay with like minded people. Peter reminded us last week that if, um, if you only talk to people you agree with, you, you need to meet more people. We've got to learn how to talk with people who disagree with us. We have to learn, like, in a culture of offense, uh, we have to learn that to disagree with someone is not disrespecting them. But how you disagree with them can, can carry a lot. Like, how do I engage a conversation? How do I learn about them and, and what they think? So this kind of reminded me of a time way back when um, AOL Instant Messenger first came out. So dating myself a bit there. Um, you know, I put, uh, I first signed on that, um, I, I think I just recently told the youth group about this, but I. Uh, I put that I was a Christian but interested, put that I am interested in other religions and, um, and for me I was in uh, Bible school and I thought this might be in a way to engage culture, strangers and sure enough it did that uh, a Wiccan witch from Belgium <laughs> messaged me and said if you're a Christian why are you interested in other religions uh, that's a good question uh, and I said well I like to know what other people think and why they think that and she's like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then we began a conversation back and forth. And I got to, de- I got to declare the gospel. She didn't get saved or uh, as far as I know from our conversations. But the, the last thing she sent me was <clears throat> that she's jealous that I know what I believe and why I believe it and have confidence in that. And she said, then all I have is my coven. And then she signed off and never, never responded to another thing. That there was this, this emptiness, this longing, these uns- she was unsure and she was wanting like wanting more there's this you have confidence in what you believe and why you believe it and uh, I was thankful for the, the, the opportunity to engage it now uh, shortly thereafter I realized how kind of creepy AOL instant messenger public was so I signed off because <laughs> not all the conversations uh, were the best so um, I tried to respond with grace but not everybody is graceful uh, And I'm not always graceful. So redeeming the time is what um, I'm thankful for what Mark said this morning, making the best use of time. Um, The word is to purchase or redeem, making the best use of it. Um, He's not talking here necessarily about as the clock ticks and the seconds and minutes and hours that we have, but he's talking more about the opportunities, the seasons of life that we make the most of of what we have. And so in these seasons. You can talk about short seasons or short, uh, quick opportunities. You can talk about long ones. As I was thinking about this as one, parents, as you have the season, your kids live with you. This is a season that you should be redeeming the time, taking, making the most of what you have with your children for they're here in your house for a while, then they move out. i am um, am a, I'm a a single guy who owns a house, and I have tenants, so young college guys that I rent my house out to that bring them in for two, three years at times, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's a, a place where I try to create a discipleship, uh, one-on-one discipleship, uh, and, and just a great opportunity, but I try to redeem the time, and as they come in, I try to think about what do I want them to know before they leave my house, and I only get sometimes a year, well, this is the last guy just moved in. He's only going to be here for three months. You know, I don't have a lot of time, so I want to make the most of the season I have with him. Um, yesterday, I was at, privileged to be a part, um, one of the groomsmen for one of the guys who lived with me for three years, and to see how a uh, young man comes in, about 19 years old, and uh, and see his maturity over the last three years, and see him and his uh, wife, now wife, Jenna, just a uh, to grow in their relationship and to have those opportunities to challenge them as a young guy in college and spending a lot of time with your girlfriend, how do you, how do you treat her with respect and, and love and care and purity? You know, how do you start planning for future? Let's talk about bills and budgets and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I get guys come in sometimes that don't even know how to operate a, uh, a dishwasher. <laughs> like, so it's just like, how are you going to live life? Um, and, I, and so having this, this season is a great time but then we have some quick time. So what about like when you're on a plane ride and you're sitting by someone? This, is, this, is an, this could be an opportunity. Now, one of the ru- plane rides I had not too long ago was I was uh, like a 6 a.m. flight. I don't like early mornings. 6 a.m. flight, so I like, I either want to sleep, but I did have a lot of work to do. So I'm like, I need to sleep or work. I don't, I'm this is terrible for a pastor to admit, but I don't like meeting new people, (laughs) especially when I'm tired. Like I will, I've learned. I'm an introvert by nature and I I talk myself out of more questions than I ask. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to talk. I just want to sleep, I want to read. And then this girl sits down and she clearly wants to talk about everything. And I could tell in just a brief second that she wasn't a believer. And so I'm like, God, you know, I just want to sleep. I don't want to talk. But he's like, here's an opportunity and we start talking and it's a convenient thing and sometimes not for me when people say what do you do and I'm like a pastor because it evokes all kinds of different responses and oftentimes it just completely shuts down a conversation but this one just uh, brought up a hey I was, I was raised in this denomination or this and I, I just don't totally don't believe any of that I'm like oh I know I have like a really short flight and I know that she doesn't want a sermon so what do I do? Like so I said, Hey, do you mind if just in a brief moment or two that I can just paint a big picture of what the Bible's all about? Can I just explain to you just briefly and I just asked the question, she said, I can give you a couple minutes. I'm like, All right, great. So let me just tell you about a God who loves you and created you and his image is likeness. And I just walk through that sin separates us from God and, and God's pursuit. And I knew from the church background she told me had like she would not have heard that, that God in heaven who created her would pursue her through his son, Jesus Christ. Like, the pursuit of God. That God didn't leave us in our darkness, in our sin, in our desperation, but he entered into our dark world and he brought light to us. Like, God pursued us. And so I knew I needed to major on that. And in like three minutes, I just talked through the, the Bible. Really briefly. So I, I encourage you to learn how to, to summarize. You know, you get your 30 second speech, you get your 3 minute speech, you get your 15 minute speech, like but practice these things. How am I going to talk to an outsider? Like I would rather be short and leaving them wanting more than to go long and uh, and them wanting out. Now I guess I should pay attention to the clock. <laughs> Man, I'm convicting myself right now and I'm not even halfway through here. I've got to redeem the time. So take advantage of those opportunities Um. And I just want I do want to read this as I'm going to conclude early. I'm not going to be able to get through all this. But um, in Jeremiah 29:7, we—we like Jeremiah 29:11. Everybody likes to quote that. It says, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans for welfare, not evil, to give you a future and a hope." And we go there and we read that. But I want you to see in Jeremiah 29:7. God says to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people were living outside. They were taken off into bondage and living in in Babylon, and they were living in a little camp outside the city and saying, we refuse to move into the city. We're going to do our own thing, and we're going to wait this out. And God's like, you're going to be there for a while. (laughs) So you need to live life. But he says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I've set you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This Jeremiah 29 principle for us is that yes, we are in this world and we should seek to bless our community. We should be involved in the cities we live in as Christians living out our faith in our community as an example to the non-believers so we should be getting involved in our schools. We should be getting involved in our communities. uh, We should be living out our faith and as we seek the welfare of the cities and communities we live in. God will bless that and bless us because of that. The problem is, is when Christians stop impacting their communities and stop impacting their neighbors and then, uh, and then we stop, start seeing things decline around us. And, and we see a lot of decline. But it's, the thing is, is that when we look into the first century and the Roman culture, and we see the evil of that culture, and we see how the gospel entered in, and it transformed people's lives, and the church was born, and it grew and grew and grew. And you know what? It's still growing. And so if you feel like things are dark today and evil today, know the gospel is stronger than our culture. The gospel is greater than sin. And when you live it out, God is going to use that to impact those around you and see things work. And so we do that through our speech, always gracious, seasoned with salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salted? How shall the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. How can you be the salt? And uh, this no longer, this losing its flavor here, the word Jesus uses to be mixed. If we mix too many of things together you don't taste the salt and, uh, and so when we mix too much of our culture and our world into our lives we lose the seasoning of Christ that saltiness and we need that in our lives All right, so I will leave it to you to read through the final greetings and look at the examples I was just going to talk about seeing the work of Christ in the faithful that there are a few brothers that it talks about here and, uh, and, and the, the faithfulness that they live and who God calls out here but we do need to see the work of Christ in the people around us. We should see people in our lives and say, I respect them and I see where they, how they're following Christ and I want to be like that. I want to I follow Christ and so involving those people in our lives so that we can be faithful as well. And it all comes about through looking above, looking to Christ. So let's uh, conclude in prayer. Thanks for letting me go over a little bit. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And for uh, your Son Jesus Christ and His uh, His love and pursuit and sacrifice for us, Lord, I thank you that um, that you have provided in your Word ways for us to see how to live like Christ, to be like Christ, to be empowered by Christ, and to, to impact others for Christ. And we do pray, Lord, that as we um, as we Consider these thoughts, Lord. We recognize that it is in Christ alone that we, we can stand, that we can live, that we can uh, move and, and find healing and, and faithfulness and, and pursuit of others. And so as we sing now, Lord, we, we pray that not only with our voices, but with our hearts that we would proclaim uh, the name of Christ and, uh, and the profession of faith that we have in Jesus' name. Amen.